Well, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to a Monday edition of the We Tackle Life podcast. We have a Buckeye win, a Browns win, and a Bengals win to talk about. And we have uh, some unfortunate circumstances regarding Urban Meyer to talk about. We'll get to all that. A big win by Luke Fickle and UC at Notre Dame. A lot on the plate. It should be fun. Thanks for joining us. You can email the show at wetacklelife at gmail.com. Wetacklelife at gmail.com. Don't forget that we tackle in all caps is your promo code to get 15% off at Hemisphere Coffee Roasters, the official coffee of the We Tackle Life podcast. They do a phenomenal job. They ship on orders of $30 or more with no shipping cost. And you can get more for your money when you use the promo code We Tackle Life in all caps to get 15% off. Coffee, tea, chocolate, non-GMO, gluten-free, sugar-free. They've got it all at HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. That's HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. All right, let's start with Buckeyes beat Rutgers. All right, there's one of two things going on here with the Buckeyes beating Rutgers like the Buckeyes are accustomed to beating Rutgers. Uh, the final score was, uh, what, 52-14? to 14? I lost track. It was uh, a lot to not very much. Not as competitive as last year. Not as competitive as many people expected. Rutgers was um, out of this one from the very beginning. 52-13. to 13. Sorry. I gave uh, Greg Schiano's crew one point too many. Uh, C.J. Stroud threw for 330 yards, five touchdowns. Chris Olave back on the beam, 119 receiving yards. High State was dominant. Pick six early. Travion Henderson, early carry, finished with 71 yards rushing. No need to put Travion Henderson at risk in this one. They did not. Okay, so the one take on this is Ohio State is back. Everything is fine. Uh, Status quo. This is the team you're going to get the rest of the year. They're going to waylay Maryland this week, Indiana after that, Penn State after that, just like they've done the two years under Ryan Day and the six or seven before that under Urban Meyer. That is one take. Or or the other take could be, hmm, I guess Rutgers is not all the way back. I guess Rutgers is not good enough to give Ohio State a game, and maybe Greg Schiano hasn't rekindled the success at Rutgers that he did the first time around. That's an option you have. I tend to think the truth is somewhere between those two polar opposites. Rutgers is probably not as good as... A one-touchdown loser at Michigan. They are not all the way back, not even close, and may never get there. I can't foresee Rutgers ever being more than a third-place team in their division of the Big Ten. They could play 50 more college football seasons, and I don't see that happening. Are they ever going to be better than Ohio State or Michigan or Penn State or Michigan State? Mm, maybe one of them, maybe two of them, but they're always going to be Rutgers. And so I just don't see it happening. And so putting too much weight on a blowout victory over a historically bad football team, to me seems like you're setting yourself up for disappointment, not against Maryland this coming week, but maybe the following week at Indiana or the week after that against Penn State. Indiana lost to Penn State on Saturday night, 24 to nothing. Indiana, they're not going to be very good unless Michael Penix is good. And Michael Penix is so up and down at the quarterback position that I don't see how Indiana can really count on him much. 
I know the backup Jack Tuttle is not the answer because Penix can run and Penix can make things happen. And Penix is just one of those guys. He reminds me of a shooting guard in basketball who is going to shoot it 25 times a game. And one out of every eh, 10 games, he'll be on. And he'll score 40 or 45. But most games, he'll just miss a lot. And you'll have to live with his misses for the one or two nights he's on. Will Penix have games this year where you go, wow, this kid's tremendous? Yes, he will. He didn't have one Saturday night at Penn State. In fact, they went with Tuttle after a while, ostensibly because of injury, but Michael Penix wasn't getting anything done. Will he be great against Ohio State in two weeks? He could be, because I don't think Ohio State's defense is totally buttoned up and dependable. Could he throw four picks? Yeah. Which would I bet on? I'd bet on the four picks. (laughs) But that's just kind of what Penix is. And at this point in time, to a lesser extent, Ohio State is the same way. I don't mean they're going to be terrible and lose to Maryland or lose to Indiana or even lose to Penn State. But it won't surprise me if Ohio State has a game where they blow somebody out, somebody better than Rutgers, and you say... Holy cow, this team, they finally figured it out. All these young guys are producing. But they could just as easily have a game where it's 24 to 21 at Indiana, and you're like, oh my goodness, we're dead. We can't beat Penn State with a team like this. We can't win a Michigan with a team like this. We can't even beat Michigan State with a team like this. But that doesn't mean they're going to be the exact same every week. That's just what young teams are like. And so I would caution you to not read too much into what you see any particular week with Ohio State until maybe you get down to weeks 9, 10, 11, 12. Maybe late November you can count on this team, but right now, mm-mm, I don't think you can. Henderson you can count on. Alave, Wilson, those guys you can count on, but they're a function of Stroud, and Stroud's shoulder is what it is. His experience level is what it is. And the defense is also what it is. There are going to be a lot better offensive coaches with a lot better offensive talent than Rutgers has take advantage of Ohio State's defense. They just will. Maryland might be one of those teams. Maryland did nothing, nothing against Iowa on Friday night. I expected that to be a lot closer football game. Iowa just absolutely annihilated Maryland, 51-14. to Intercepted Talia Tagovailoa five times. Iowa's defense is pretty legit. Iowa shortens the football game. Spencer Pietras, their quarterback, I could see that guy throwing three picks, fumbling twice against Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship game, or I could see him having like his Nate Stanley moment. Sorry to bring that name up from the past. And Iowa just having a night where it goes their way. I don't know. The crystal ball for me on Ohio State in the Big Ten is more foggy at this point in time than I anticipated it because we all know what we saw against Oregon without Kayvon Thibodeau. People are happy that Oregon lost to Stanford. I get why you're happy because it brings Oregon closer back to you. Now you can at least make an argument. Well, they got one loss and we got one loss. They've still got a head-to-head win in Ohio Stadium without Kayvon Thibodeau. I don't think Ohio State is going to leapfrog Oregon in the BCS, or not BCS, in the 
football, college football poll, college football playoff standings on merit. <laughs> See, I finished that sentence on merit. I don't think they hop Oregon on merit, but they might hop Oregon because they're Ohio State and Oregon isn't. College football playoff committee wants Ohio State in the playoff. They want teams that draw, and they'll take a Cinderella, but not two. They don't want a Cinderella in both matchups. They're pretty reasonably certain that Ohio State will play tough enough for the game not to get out of hand, and even if it does get out of hand, everybody likes Ohio State who's from Ohio State or from Ohio. Alumni Association's gigantic. They'll have good TV ratings. You'll stay there, watch till the bitter end, even if they get blasted by the likes of Alabama. So that's why they want Ohio State in the playoff. They're not going to get Clemson in the playoff. Clemson, whoo-wee. They got serious problems at Clemson. They barely eked one out against Boston College. Clemson will lose again before the season's over, which I know will delight all of you, but they're not getting in with two losses. Georgia-Bama right now look super, super, super legit. Somebody from the Big Ten, if there's a one-loss team. Uh, maybe Oregon, if they're a one-loss team and they don't have any more hiccups along the way. But right now, to say that what I saw Saturday from Ohio State is what I'm counting on seeing from Ohio State every week, I'm not going to make that statement. And and you shouldn't buy it either. Now, the team I didn't include in the playoff conversation, Luke Fickle and the Cincinnati Bearcats, ladies and gentlemen, went into Notre Dame Stadium on Saturday and they didn't dominate the game. They dictated the game. See, there's a difference between dominating and dictating. Cincinnati dictated that game. Notre Dame drove down, going to score. Cincinnati intercepts the ball. Cincinnati gets the lead. Cincinnati builds on the lead. Notre Dame comes back, makes a little flirtation with one of those storied Irish comebacks. Cincinnati's kicker helped them by missing two field goals. So now it's 17-14, to 14, and we're in the fourth quarter, and the Irish faithful are screaming and yelling, and Cincinnati gets the ball, and zip, right down the field. Like six or seven play touchdown drive. And I mean, it was a big-time drive. And Desmond Ritter for Cincinnati, he talked a little bit of smack early in the week when his uh, offensive coordinator, Mike Denbro, said, hey, you know, it can get loud over there. And uh, Ritter famously responded, "Eh, won't be loud long. He was right. He was right. He's a nifty runner. He's a nice thrower. They've got players, and Luke's got a defense. Whew, does Luke have a defense? Now, I know Notre Dame's offense is, eh, with Jack Cohn and his backup and a third guy who's kind of a wrinkle guy, runner guy. But Luke Fickle and Cincinnati looked really good on Saturday and won that game more handily than the 24-13 final would indicate. They're legit. I don't know what you're going to do with Cincinnati if they're undefeated and Ohio State is sitting there with one loss. That's, to me, UC, now they got to win convincingly, against their AAC opponents. But Cincinnati deserves to be in that conversation. I hate the word deserve, but they do. They're number five playing Temple at home this week. Now that game is on Friday night, so if you miss Cincinnati on Saturday and you want to know what Luke Fickle's got going on with Desmond Ritter and the rest of the talent that he's recruited there, you can watch that game Friday night at 7 o'clock on ESPN. There are other games. They have Central Florida, which is typically a tough game for them, at home 
on uh, the following Saturday. Then they're on the road at Navy and Tulane. Uh, They're at South Florida on November the 12th. USF can be okay from time to time, sometimes not. SMU, they get SMU at home, and they get East Carolina, and then they whatever they have to face in the AAC title game. So they've won at Indiana, 38-24, came back from down 14-0. They've won at Notre Dame more comfortably. I mean, if that game's 30-13, to like it should have been with the two chippy field goals that they missed, I think Cincinnati's got a legitimate, very legitimate shot. And maybe this is a year where the committee, and look, the committee does not have operate in a vacuum they say they do oh we're impervious to the outside sure you are this may be the year that they decide to end all the complaining about how a non-power five team does not have a chance to get into the playoffs in the current system if there are people on that committee who do not want that committee uh, to do not want that field to expand and that's the cry the hue and cry for expansion of the playoff some people don't want that. I think it's a bad idea to expand the playoff. I just do. I think it's a bad idea. We have such a great situation in college football where you have four spots and there's so much debate, so much focus on games that have consequence late in the season because there are only four spots. If every conference got a spot and there were two at-large spots, would we care like a couple years ago was Miami playing against Pitt? And we're all watching that like, ah, oh, man, if Miami doesn't lose, Ohio State's in trouble. That's why college football is great. That's why every game matters. And if they expand the playoff, every game is not going to matter. It's just not. And by the way, the playoff results every year show you teams that are below four not very often are going to have a chance to win two or three playoff games. In fact, I would say that will never happen. Yes, I know we've had teams that are four win the playoff before. Ohio State's done it. Alabama's done it. But those are really good teams that had one loss during the season. They're not teams that, oh, well, they're the champion of the AAC or the champion of the Big 12. Let's let them in. Yeah, good. Let them in so they can get beat 55-7 to in week one. I don't like it. I think it's a selective group. You need to be selective in getting people into the playoff field. It shouldn't just be Oh, I want a championship. My league's terrible, but I want a championship. That, to me, just doesn't feel right. Now, if you are named in a legal action or pressing a legal action and you have a bad attorney, that won't feel right either. So don't put yourself in that situation. Get a great attorney and a great attorney firm, one with wide-ranging expertise. Fortunately for you, I know such a firm. It is Willis, Spangler, and Starling in Hilliard, Truman Boulevard, just a little bit north of the Mill Run area. The partners are phenomenal. So are the associates. They're expanding their practice. Why? Because, hey, they're doing great work and word of mouth gets around from a good attorney. That is the best advertising you can get. This person really prioritized my case. They really explained it in easily understandable language. They have tons and tons of character, integrity, expertise, acumen, and relatability. What's not to love? Zero. Willis Spangler Starling. They're phenomenal. They're my attorney. And they should be yours because I wouldn't steer you to someone that I was using if they were not bad because I would not be using them if they were bad. And they are awesome. Personal injury, wills estate planning, employment law, social probate, you name it. No case too complex. They will give you a free consultation. And many times they can tell you what the case will cost up front. They do take them on 
a uh, fixed fee basis. So Willis Spangler Starling online, willisattorneys.com, W-I-L-L-I-S, willisattorneys.com. All right, let's talk about some of the other games on Saturday before we get to the Browns on Sunday and the very unfortunate Urban Meyer situation. Uh, the Michigan win at Wisconsin, a little bit impressive because I didn't think Michigan had that in them. I don't think Wisconsin's very good. Graham Mers is terrible at quarterback for Wisconsin. You'd think Paul Christ, a quarterback guy, would be able to identify and coach and elicit improvement from a quarterback. Graham Mers has gone backwards since the first game of his college career. Remember, he like carved up Illinois, and everybody's like, whoa, look at this Mers kid for Wisconsin. Mm, not so much since then. So Michigan wins pretty comfortably, 38-17. to 17. Okay, that's a hoop I wanted them to jump through to prove to me that they're legit, but that doesn't mean that the jury is now ready to render a verdict that Michigan is all the way back. I just don't think they are all the way back, and time will tell if they are. Uh, they have Michigan State coming up. They obviously have Ohio State coming up. Uh, Sparty continues to win. Uh, Michigan State beat Western Kentucky. They should beat Western Kentucky. They did. Let's see what Michigan does at Nebraska. Nebraska pounded Northwestern, which I know it's not exactly, hey, by the way, check them out. They're ready to return to the glory days of Tommy Frazier. No, but Nebraska pounding anybody is kind of news since Scott Frost has been on the cusp of the hot seat. But uh, Nebraska won that game very handily. Now they get Michigan at home. They'll be laying for Michigan. That game's at 7.30 on Saturday night. Let's see what Michigan does at Nebraska. The next week against Northwestern, I would think they'd smoke Northwestern at home. And then they got to go to East Lansing. And then they got Indiana. And then they got Penn State. And I'm not even sure that at Maryland is a automatic for Michigan. So they got a very tough schedule coming up. Not very tough because I think the Big Ten is great. Very tough because I think Michigan is just mm, slightly above average. So can they win at Nebraska convincingly? Can they win at Michigan State? Will they take care of business at home against Indiana and Purdue? If the answer to all those questions is yes, and we're sitting on November the 14th, and we're two weeks away from Ohio State and Michigan, and Ohio State has to play Sparty, and Michigan has to go to Maryland, then I'll start to think that we might have a game where there's actually something memorable about to happen. But right now, no, I'm not there yet. As I said, Oregon lost to Stanford in overtime. Inexcusable. Shouldn't happen. I know it was at the farm. Still shouldn't happen. Penn State shuts out Indiana. Penn State's defense is pretty good. Penn State's defense is pretty good. I apologize for the little musical interlude reminder that I have a meeting coming up here in my office. Uh, no, Penn State's defense is pretty good. And uh, I don't know if they'll still be healthy. And I don't know if they can score enough against Ohio State, even though I don't think Ohio State's defense is very good. But that game's coming up three weeks out. So we'll keep your eye on Penn State because uh, they got a nice team. They got a nice team. I'm just not sure about their depth, and I'm definitely not sure about their offense. Other games coming up on game day will be at Oklahoma, Texas on a state fairgrounds. That ticked off a lot of Iowa fans. They're playing host to Penn State, and uh, Iowa fans were certain they were going to get game day at, in Iowa City. <laughs> nope, sorry, you're not. So uh, that was a little bit of a surprise to me. I mean, I thought, you know, with Iowa being ranked third and Penn State being ranked fourth, why would you not go to that game? 
probably because it is the uh, big noon kickoff. Well, no, it's not the big noon kickoff. It's the 4 o'clock game on Fox. That's kind of strange. Why would that not be the big noon kickoff? Probably, well, I know why, because the Big 12 game, Texas and Oklahoma is the big noon kickoff. So that's a that's a really good game right there. Texas and Oklahoma always plays at 11 Central time noon. Uh, obviously, uh, Maryland's at Ohio State. Michigan State's at Rutgers. So if Sparty's legit, they'll finish off Rutgers. And then there's another set of games in the SEC, which features two ranked teams. Not sure how sexy these games are, because Arkansas and Ole Miss both lost their 13 and 17 in the poll. Georgia is two and Auburn is 18. It's at Auburn and JT Daniels is probably still out for Georgia. So that could be a little something. And then Bama goes to Texas A&M, which prior to the season, you'd say, Ooh, that's a good game on Saturday night. A&M is three and two and unranked. Nick Saban does not lose to unranked teams. Has not lost to an unranked team since his first year at Alabama. I would not assume but that would be a game that Alabama would need to worry about because, boy, were they impressive against Ole Miss. Ooh, I thought Lane Kiffin might give him a little problem, but he definitely, definitely, definitely did not. Now, if you have a problem selecting the right insurance company for yourself or for your business, I got the solution. The solution is a free website, a free service, an invaluable service, yet free to you. AUIinfo.com is the website. AUIinfo.com. What do they do? They're health insurance brokers. They know the health insurance industry. You're a business owner. You want to provide health insurance. You want to provide an array of insurance options, D- dental, vision, disability. You can do that. AUI will steer you to whatever plan fits your cost, fits your range of options. They'll give you options. Here's plan A, plan B, plan C. You pick one, whatever works for you. And likely save you money. If you have not checked what you're spending on insurance for your employees in the last two years, I guarantee you you're throwing away money. You say, I'm a small business. I only have so many options. Just one option, Bruce. Not true. One option you know about. Did you know you can belong to any Ohio Chamber of Commerce and get any Ohio Chamber of Commerce plan? By that, I mean you could belong to the Toledo Chamber and get the Cincinnati plan. These are the nuances AUI knows that you wouldn't know unless I told you, and I wouldn't know them unless they told me. If you're an individual, open enrollment is around the corner. It's the one time during the year you can change your health insurance provider. AUI will steer you through that process. Yes, even including questions on healthcare.gov. Why would you research that stuff yourself? Man, you cannot have that much spare time. Let auiinfo.com do it for you and do it free. They're paid by the companies you choose to do business with. They don't twist arms. They just provide options. auiinfo.com. Okay, to the NFL. And let's do Urban first, okay? So Urban is upset they lose to the Bengals on Thursday. He's in Ohio, obviously, because the game was in Cincinnati. He heads back to Columbus to see his grandkids. And Saturday's apparently his birthday. He goes out to dinner with his wife and family. And then he stays out. This is where I wish this story would reroute and Urban would have gone home to see his grandkids with Shelly. He didn't. He went to a, he was in a bar or a bar area of a restaurant. And the band is playing. And he's sitting on a bar stool facing away from the bar, and a girl is dancing, and you've seen the video. I don't have to describe it for you. It's not a good look. 
it's not a good look for a married man. It's not a good look for Urban. It's not a good look for his leadership of the Jags. And he said as much when he came out and spoke at his press conference today. Yeah, I, uh, I just apologize to the team and the staff and uh, for being a distraction. It's stupid. Uh, and so I explained everything that happened and owned it and, you know, just stupid. Uh, should not have myself in that kind of position. Urban, did you, did you fly back with the team or did you stay in? Um, no, I stayed to see the grandkids and we all went to dinner that night at uh, the restaurant. And then there's a big group next to our restaurant and they wanted me to come over and take pictures and I did. And, and they were trying to pull me out on the dance floor screwing around and I should have left. How did the team react? I mean, they're pretty, probably pretty again, uh, reactionary or, you know, how did they take it, your apology? Well, I've always been so defensive of them. You know, I remember when Trevor told me he was going to go to Vegas for his bachelor party. I mean, I was just, my gosh, man, be careful and surround yourself and because I've seen this happen and, uh, and I just, so the team, the team uh, I spoke to a bunch of leaders one-on-one, -on -one, spoke to all the players. Uh, they're good. They were focused on Tennessee and I apologized again for being a distraction. Uh, the coach should not be a distraction. What how, about your, how about your family? Did you also did you feel a need to apologize to your family? Yeah, yeah, of course I did. Yeah, that's not me, and that's uh, uh, oh yeah, they're upset. Have you talked to? All right, so we're going to stop it there because I can't believe he answered the third question, and I really can't believe he answered the fourth question. He was exceedingly patient there. Look, I mean, I I applaud him for facing the music. Um, I mean, it's a bad look. It just is. It's a bad look. A married man can't be doing that, and uh, it's a temptation. And temptation, her. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna make any kind of uh, assumptions or anything like that. Other than here's what I'll say: Urban looks miserable. I know he hates losing. I don't think he showed good judgment there, but. I just, man, I hope he wins some games because I don't want to see the guy implode. I just don't want to see the guy implode. There are people who want to see him implode. And I don't understand. Well, I do understand it. It's a push people down to lift yourself up kind of a thing. It's a sad, it's a sad commentary on our society that you push people down to lift yourself up. But it happens and it'll continue to happen. It's, I've, I've, fallen victim to that in the past myself and you always have to be vigilant of it so there you go urban's apology okay now to the browns i i so this is interesting to me like you win the game against minnesota you win the game 14 to 7 and there are no bad wins in the nfl i've said that before with spiels i'll say it again here there are no bad wins in the nfl but the Browns are increasingly proving to me that they have indeed put a team together that is oh, adequate to win a Super Bowl at every position but one. And that position's quarterback. Now, could they win a Super Bowl with Baker Mayfield? Yes. Can they win a Super Bowl with Baker Mayfield? I said, yes. Is Baker Mayfield good enough to win them a Super Bowl? No. 
Sounds like I answered that question differently. I didn't. I answered two different questions. Can they win a Super Bowl with Baker Mayfield? Yes, they can because they may be so dominant defensively and running the football that he might only have to make a throw or two in a Super Bowl to win the game. Brad Johnson won a Super Bowl. Trent Dilfer won a Super Bowl. They were beneficiaries of dominant defenses. Jeff Hostetler won a Super Bowl, I think. Phil Simms did. Phil Simms a Hall of Famer. Yeah, 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 sure. Okay. But can Baker Mayfield win the Browns a Super Bowl the way Aaron Rodgers won the Packers a Super Bowl? No. No and no. Right now in his career, he cannot. So I'm out of excuses for Baker Mayfield. He's in year four. He's got an unbelievably talented team around him. He has two running backs who are studs. Nick Chubb is amazing. And every time I watch Kareem Hunt, I'm thinking, how do they not give that guy every carry? Kareem Hunt runs angry. And he is a beast to bring down. They have at least two really good tight ends, Joku and Hooper. They have a bevy of wide receivers. I know Beckham and Landry are not playing together right now, but eventually they will, and they don't even need to because they have Schwartz, and they have Peoples-Jones, and they have Higgins, and they got the kid from UCLA who I mocked early on, but he's actually pretty good too. So they are loaded. Oh, by the way, their offensive line, four of the five spots have a top five player at his position. Defensively, pass rush, check. Secondary depth, check. Do they hit hard? Yes. Linebackers, eh, little little okay, just average. Kicker, check. Punter, check. Coaching, check. What's left? Quarterback. Quarterback is left. Now, I know what will happen Sunday at San Diego. He will come out and he will light it up. And all the angst over his 55 quarterback rating for the week will go away. And everybody will be like, see, Baker's fine. He just needed to be called out. He's fine. No. The fact that he has a game where he has a 55 quarterback rating tells you that he's capable of having a game with a 55 quarterback rating. And you cannot win a Super Bowl on the back of a quarterback who is prone to having a 55 quarterback rating at the most inopportune time. Because I will go back to the last two games against the Chiefs where he had a chance to win the game, and he's not good enough to win the game. And eventually in the playoffs, it is rare that your quarterback does not have to win you a game on a drive when you need it. And I do not feel confident that he can do that. Okay? I do not. Now, the serendipity of yesterday is that his performance happened against the Minnesota Vikings and against Kirk Cousins. And now there's a pressing matter with the Cleveland Browns of how much do you pay Baker Mayfield? And I think it's a gift from the galaxy above that you end up playing Kirk Cousins and you see what happens when you pay your quarterback like you wish he was worth rather than what he is worth. Now, this is not a rip of Rick Spielman paying Kirk Cousins that money. 
because the Vikings had everything else when they signed Kirk Cousins, and they were probably uneasy about giving him a guaranteed deal, but he was the best quarterback out there. They had everything the Browns have now, best roster in the league, but no quarterback. So they were over a barrel where you're going to waste the best roster in the league unless you find a quarterback, so you pay what a quarterback costs. The Browns are not in that position right now. They have a plethora of talent, and they have Baker Mayfield. And I think they could afford to look elsewhere for another quarterback. Baker has to play next year. He has to. He's going to sit out. So you got some advance warning here to keep Baker Mayfield interested. I am not 100% convinced that the Browns' record would be any different if Baker Mayfield had not played all year and Case Keenum had played. Because you know what? The Vikings' record hasn't been any different with Kirk Cousins playing than it was with Case Keenum playing. Baker Mayfield is, to me, the one glaring echoing doubt that I have. He, like Peyton Hillis before him, like Lloyd Free before him, like Joe Charbonneau before him, have been Clevelandized. They're great because they play for Cleveland. They're not great because they're great. Baker Mayfield has been washed in the healing waters of Clevelandization. He's been baptized in the wannabe, wish-he-could-be waters of Lake Erie. And until I see him produce on a ba- on a weekly basis, all the fanboys out there who say he's great because he's theirs, hmm, no, 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 no. It reminds me of the guy who says to you, look at my wife. Isn't she the most beautiful woman in the world? And you're like, not really my place to say. <laughs> but no, she's not, okay? She's nice, she's pleasant. She's not a supermodel, okay? That's what Browns fans are like with Baker Mayfield. Oh, isn't he great? No, he's Baker Mayfield. And right now, he is too inconsistent for you to count on him through an entire postseason and not have a game like he had yesterday against the Vikings or failing to come up big when he has a chance to win a football game like he did last year in the playoffs against Kansas City. Okay. Now we transition to the faith portion of the podcast. And in that realm, I was reminded yesterday at church of a verse that I wanted to share with you. Now, uh, this is not a verse that I've ever heard anybody say was their favorite verse or their life verse, the one that you know gives them great comfort when they're down or in times of trouble or anything like that. Uh, But this is a verse that speaks very plainly the truth, and the truth, as I say all the time, is not malleable, not moldable, shapeable. You don't get to bend it into what you want it to be. The truth is the truth, and you better deal with the fact that you don't get to reshape it. This is what I would call a destination everyone wants via an itinerary no one wants to follow. And it comes from Paul's second letter to Timothy in chapter 3, and it is verse 12 and beyond. Here's the verse. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted 
I'm waiting for hands to shoot up around the room. <laughs> Nobody wants to sign up for that, right? Nobody wants to be persecuted. But it says that if you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you'll be persecuted. So I've said before, when I read the Gospels, I'm always amazed how the disciples missed the many times Jesus told them, the Son of Man is going to go up, he's going to be persecuted, he's going to be crucified and rise three days later. And it went over their head like a squadron of blue angels. As I read the Gospels, verses like this, and there are many more of them, in this world you will have trouble. It's your way to identify with the fellowship of my sufferings, on and on and on and on. Speak about persecution, about paying a price, things being unpleasant, because you stand out from a culture that is hostile toward God or from a culture that wants to itself be its own God. You stand out by submitting yourself to God, being humble, seeking his guidance, wisdom, spending time in his word, allowing him sovereignty over your life. Everybody wants a savior. Very few comparatively welcome a Lord. But that's part of the picture. Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of your life. He cannot be the latter if he is not the former. You do not obey your way to salvation, but you authenticate your salvation by obeying via the gratitude that you have for your salvation. It's not a hard equation to understand if you really think about it. You're not earning anything. You're thanking him for everything. And if you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, the only way to do that is to know what he suffered. And a way to do that is to testify to his sovereignty in your life, the way you behave, the way you talk, the attitudes that you have, and all those kinds of things. And so you will stick out like a sore thumb in this life. And we're seeing it now in many different things that are cultural issues on the forefront of our conversation. Ask God to give you wisdom as you interact, as you engage, because the gospel of Jesus Christ is the healing balm for everything, everything in this life. It is not off-limits on any topic. It is not irrelevant on any topic. It is not inadequate on any topic. We act like it is by retreating from tough conversations because we don't want to be persecuted. But when you have um, a desire to serve God, you should also have a desire to enlighten others, to things that may be separating them from the way God wants them to live, which is true joy, by the way. So you're not being hateful. You're not being evil. Those are accusations, insults lobbed at people to get you to retreat. But as I've said before, um, if you think of the analogy of a kid standing on a street corner who's looking the other way and steps out into traffic in front of a bus, if you grab the kid by the collar and yank him back to safety, it may not feel loving but it may be very loving because you're pulling him back from certain death. That's essentially what we're doing when we testify to the greatness of God by the way that we submit to God in a way that we hopefully can engage kindly, compassionately, but firmly 
with others on matters that command the conversation in our culture. And yes, doing so eloquently in a heartfelt way, in a compassionate way, but in an unwavering way may bring you into a place where you are persecuted for it. And so in those moments, I, Jesus says, don't worry about what you're going to say. I'll give you the words to say. So I do think it's prudent and appropriate to seek his counsel and wisdom beforehand and pray about situations. But you cannot deny that Paul wrote that to Timothy, that if you really want to identify, you will be persecuted. If you really want to be godly, you will be persecuted. Eyes wide open as you embrace that truth uh, here as we complete a Monday edition of the We Tackle Life podcast. I appreciate all you guys listening. Love to hear from you on uh, email. Send me a uh, review via iTunes. And uh, I will be back Wednesday where we'll hear what Ryan Day has to say about the Maryland game coming up. See if anything else has happened across the uh, broad spectrum of sports. And I look forward to chatting with you then. Everybody have a great day.